All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from the Pearl of Queens in New York City. It is the 13th day in the month of December in the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I am the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. We do focus primarily on the mining stocks, exploration stocks, and and some that I'm very excited about that are starting to move towards production that I think are going to that are grossly undervalued in the market. Um, and so uh, I'm I'm very excited about this market, especially today when the equity markets, uh, well, they were really strong out of the gate. They've fallen back some, but gold and silver have held in there very nicely. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited. It's um, If you want to sign up for my letter, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Also like to uh, let you know about Chen Lin's letter, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. You can sign up for that by going to chenpicks.com. And Chen is with me today, so um, we'll hear what he has to say about the markets in just a couple of minutes from now. Do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, and I want to encourage you to continue sending along your any remarks you have about the show. Send it to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number for Taylor at gmail.com. Want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Today's sponsors: Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Gold Bull Resources, El Oro Resources, and Timberline Resources. I've titled today's show "Why Why Invest in Gold If the Dollar Remains Strong." Keith Weiner, Quentin Henning, and Chen Lin are my guests today. Keith Weiner's monetary metals company encourages investors to lease or lend their gold or silver to clients of monetary metals in exchange for interest payable in kind, in other words, in silver or gold. At the same time, Keith makes a very strong case that the dollar will remain and continue to remain strong and even get stronger. Uh, relative to the euro, uh, well, in the index, that's the euro, the Swiss franc, Japanese yen, Canadian dollar, British pound, and Swedish corona. Those are the other currencies. So Keith thinks we're going to see a very strong dollar getting stronger against those currencies going forward into next year. And generally, of course, a strong dollar is viewed as bearish for gold. So why is Keith touting gold ownership at the same time that he takes an exceptionally bullish view on the dollar? So we'll hope to get some answers from Keith uh, when he is with us in the second half of today's show. Um, the company Monetary Metals is somebody that is a company that I have invested a small amount of gold in and uh, have enjoyed two to three uh, percent interest uh, interest returns uh, on that uh, lease with Monetary Metals uh, and gotten paid back in grams of gold. So. 
it's worked out very well for us over the last couple of years or so. And if you're interested, go to Monetary Metals. Uh, well, you can go to my website at J Taylor Media, and there's a uh, you can just click on you can just click on uh, there and and uh, go right to Monetary Metals. Uh, you can just click on the banner there at J Taylor Media. Um, in the second segment of today's show, Quentin Henning will join me to talk about Irving Resources. That's a company that I think is grossly undervalued. It is a company that um, I think, uh, well, I don't believe that Newmont Corporation or Sumitomo believes that um, that this company is anywhere near its its peak in terms of its valuation. It's a, it's a model, it's a business model that's very unique, uh, and Quentin will talk to us about that. Irving Resources did have some very good uh, uh, numbers that they put out um, in November, and he'll be here to tell us about that and what that might mean for the company's future. But right now, I'm Happy to tell you that Chen Lin is with me and uh, to provide his latest thoughts on the markets uh, as they draw to an end here in 2022. And, uh, well, hopefully Chen will give us some idea of where he thinks they're going in 2023. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Thank you, Jake. Glad to be here. It's always good to have you with us. And uh, we had a, a pretty, I, I don't know, I guess, I don't know if it's surprising or not. I don't know if it surprised you or not. The CPI number came in. Uh, lower than expected. I think the market was expecting a 0.3 for the last month, 0.3%. It came out 0.1%. And so the market is rejoicing today. The equity markets took off. Everything shot up. The bond markets were higher. Gold and silver skyrocketed higher to start with. And um, so the market was was surprised, I suppose. Um, what are your thoughts about the actions today, Chen, in the markets in general? Oh, I think the, um, tomorrow is a fat day. So there are always, uh, you know, uh, concern before the talk. Jay Powell, Jay Powell always talks tough in the past few conference, right? You, you yeah. re- recognize every time, you know, fat action and then he talk, he always talk tough. So he doesn't want to see the asset inflation. So, <laughs> so that's, I think people just uh, very naturally, they take, take profit and then they see what's fat going to happen, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow with the fat. So it's a big reversal, but I'm very pleased to see gold and silver hold well. We just talked about that. that. That's a very good signal. That mm-hmm. means that people know where, where to put money, right? Gold and silver. That, that's, uh, that's where it is. So, uh, I know we recognize that the huge central bank purchase of gold in the past quarter, the highest in 30 years. Mm-hmm. The Silver Institute just announced the silver deficit this year is going to be highest in 30 years as well this year. So which uh-huh. they've reversed their <laughs> their previous prediction, which I, you know, said publicly they were wrong. But so the, things are going the right direction for gold and silver. Yeah, you felt that uh, the Silver Institute was wrong because they weren't taking into account the amount of silver that was going to be taken off the market for for green energy, I guess, right? Oh, yeah, that's a key area. And uh, as well as the silver itself, you know, it's just uh, it's a commodity, right? The mostly it's a, it's a green energy day. We will see when they come out with the next year report, we will have this year's number. We'll see what the, the real number tells us. I think it's even higher <laughs> so we'll see and then next oh. year they also were instead of predicting next year going to have a less deficit and i challenge that i do challenge that next year deficit silver that's probably higher than this year and you challenge that on what grounds chen again the green energy oh, the, aspect so green energy mostly it's a green energy because uh, uh this year okay the solar panel 
grow in China. It's about 30% range. Uh, but because there's a component shortage, there's a lot of silicon uh, shortage, they couldn't produce enough solar panels to meet the demand. The book, they're well back, booked, right? So next year, the, silic- uh, the silicon increase, production increase, I heard is going to be 100%. 100 percent, one zero zero. Okay, wow. so how how high how much more you know silver will be taken by solar panel? One hundred million ounce or more. So oh. how can we have less deficit? Unless silver go very very high, people start selling their silver. Well, that's that's another problem to have. If silver stay around this price, we'll see. We we should have another big deficit coming. So if silver, in other words, you think that silver would have to go a lot higher for the, for the hoarders to put it back on the market? Well, for the people to selling their silverware right. for right. money, for cash, silver for right. cash. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about everywhere, gold for cash. There will be silver for cash everywhere. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, and I'm thinking in terms of people who look at silver as an asset category to own to preserve your wealth. In other words, to, against inflation, right? Like gold. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think those educated investors will sell. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Jay, you know, silver yeah. has top at 50, top at 50 again. There's uh-huh. no triple top, right? Technically, there's no triple top. So this time, if we blow through 50, you know, if we go to 50, they will not stop at 50. We'll blow through $50. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, for investor, for especially educated, you know, I'm not selling. It's good. goes twenty, thirty, or forty. No, yeah, you know, we're waiting for the ultimate, you know, spike. Right. Well, silver certainly has been outperforming gold, and when both the precious metals are running higher, when we're in a bull market for precious metals, silver usually outperforms gold. So, if we're in a new bull market for precious metals, I do expect silver to to outperform gold. And do you have? Uh, are you playing at uh, Chen with some companies, some some mining companies, perhaps? Right, right. I just uh, sent out a list of uh, quite a comprehensive list of to buy. Right? So the silver company, there's different stages. I mean, I was buying yeah. a few months ago the very well financed mid cap silver company. Someone they all go up thirty to forty percent in the past month. Great. Uh-huh. Right now, I'm looking at juniors. A lot of tax loss selling. Some are doing financing today or this week. Or next mm-hmm. week, so there's a lot of opportunity. You can buy those uh, good company at a very deep discount price. I'm quite excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I, I, so I have definitely some silver companies that I have my eyes on and talking about in my letter. With just a couple of minutes left here, Chen, uh, would like to ask you about a couple of our uh, of your favorite uh, biotechs. Uh, let's start out with Amaris. AMRS selling at about a dollar seventy, I think I saw today, something like that in U.S. money. Dollar sixty. Dollar <laughs> sixty. All right. <laughs> Even better. Um, what What are your thoughts about Amaris as we go into next year? Are they going to finally right. start making money or, or stop hemorrhaging at least? Well, this is a very uh, interesting story. Okay, I mean, this is my second round trip, right? Two years ago, I ride it from. $3 to double digit. I sold most of it. I kept some because I thought they may have a chance to go to triple digit, but it just went down very, very badly uh, due to very terrible operation results, especially last quarter, Q3. I know a lot of long-time investors left after that result, but uh-huh. investors expect you know more, this, this quarter will be worse, and then company has to raise money or issue shares, which is 
you know, I I wouldn't say completely wrong, but I think extremely pessimistic, right? Mm-hmm. So they uh, there's an article just published by my uh, friend James in Seeking Alfred, Kramer show me the money. I think I'm pretty much with that, okay? Because company already guided it; they're selling two molecules for about five hundred million this wow. month, right? This month, so they will end with this year with cash of you no know, north of three hundred million. So mm. if 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 investors see that, how can they stop trading at five hundred million, right? There is technology developed in the past decade, right? They, there are billions of billions of dollars pouring into that, and how can this company worth five hundred million? So there, that's a question. You know, again, it's my second round trip. I wish I sold them all when they're on the top, and I bought back too early. But I do mm-hmm. think if people see the valuation, it can go back at least to double digits. Okay, let yeah. me tell you the asset. We can look at the asset. Okay, yeah. they can. They basically they can program using computer program to create any molecule on Earth. They are the biggest. They're the only company reach the scalability in Brazil. They just build the first. Big, big plant, right? Mm-hmm. I, I got attracted to the company. One of this is because of China. Chinese companies are desperately trying to catch up with Emirates. Okay, there's many, many startups form in China. And I look at the valuation, I, I say, I'm mean, telling my friend, I'm like, gosh, if China can buy Emirates today, they will buy it for at least $100 a share, at least. Uh, because the asset is exactly what, you know, it's actually very highly competitive to Chinese <laughs> asset. So uh, I can give you one example. You know hyaluronic, hyaluronic mm-hmm. asset, right? Mm-hmm. It's used for knee replacement. Knee replacement, it's a special asset, okay? Use mm-hmm. a knee place replacement, hip replacement, and then women, you know, their facial, you know, those kind of uh, operations, right? Uh-huh. So yes. all these are manufactured in China. One hundred percent, and then they are. It's about one billion dollar. China do one billion, five billion out to United States, and then it's going to go to ten billion in a few years. But they use fermentation. China use fermentation, but Amaris is next generation fermentation. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So they can mm-hmm. compete. They can compete on price with China, but right now they don't need to compete because Biden mm-hmm. came out and you know, with all these uh, uh, trade war, right? They going to force company to switch to American-made product. So that's mm-hmm. actually one perfect example. If you just calculate $5 billion, okay, Amherst is the only company can come in and take away market share from China. And mm. $5 billion to $10 billion, supposedly a 90% margin, you see this, just on this technology alone can worth a few hundred dollars Okay, if it work out, and it takes a few years. So if there's yes. no dilution, my my question, my point, that's my point. There's no. Yeah. And China right. exporting about thirty billion, three zero billion API. So there, this is just one tiny example. So you can see, Amherst, if next year, right, they are talking about building the plant in America, sponsored by the federal government. So Amherst mm. is. It's recently asked the government for $1 billion. I don't know how much they will get. But even get half a billion, they can build a few Bahabanitas in the United States. And then replacing all these critical, medical critical products from China. For example, you know, you look at our Canadian friend. They, uh, one of my friends, they say knee replacement, hip replacement, need to wait for three years. We, we don't want to, we want to do that, Russian, or we want to pr- produce this, right? Uh-huh. All these critical uh-huh. 
uh, component in, in the United States. So that's actually a huge opportunity. So for investors, I think we need to look beyond the current problem. Okay, they, the operation they does have problem. Okay, they burn too much cash. Uh, they burn through eight hundred million cash. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. been please actually I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset. A lot of people are pretty upset with the CEO. First, let let them close the deal. It's supposed to cl- uh, announce in uh, this week or you know very soon this month. Right, they're guiding this month. So we get the deal. We get the five hundred million potentially manufacture worth a few hundred million. So. Hypothetically, one billion dollar with one of the big, uh, big company, right? So mm-hmm. then the company don't need to dilute, and then we can we try to work on that. You know, there's a lot yeah. of uh, shareholders pretty upset with the recent performance. So well, you know, we work yeah. together on that. Yeah, Chen, just the idea that for two molecules they they're paid five hundred million dollars. I mean, people have to say, wow, wouldn't it be better if they could if they could use those molecules to make profits that those companies that are buying those molecules plan to make. Exactly. I mean, if they could, That's my point. Yeah, if they, they, if they could stop having to sell, if they could stop having to sell those molecules and this thing is, I think that, I think this is a, a you know, very much an under, un, misunderstood company and uh, we're out of time, Chen, but I'd like to have you on again sometime to talk more about this, really explore it. I'd like to explore it myself more because I think it is one of the most exciting stories that I, that I know about in the, in the, you know, and I'm not a, a high tech guy by any means, but uh, certainly because thanks to you, I've learned a lot about it, and uh, maybe we can pursue it some more in the near future. But we do have to run now. Chen, thank you so much for being with me. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, hopefully we'll have a we'll have the deal close this month. Then we'll work on that. I mean, because the, the company, you know, the biggest asset is ignored completely ignored by the market. You know, just exactly on operation issues. That's okay. Problem, well, but it's this opportunity, right? All right. All right, Chen, we'll have to leave it at that, and we'll, we'll talk some more about it in the future. Thank you so much. Well, folks, don't go away. We've got to go to a commercial break. But Quentin Henning will be with me when we come back to talk about Irving Resources and that company's very bright future as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. He's here today to give us an update on Irving Resources. Uh, Quentin is, a, of course, a member of the Crestcat Capital Management Team, and he is a director, and he serves Crestcat as the firm's uh, geologic and technical advisor. And, of course, uh, those of you who are interested in exploration stocks, as I am, uh, one thing you might want to keep in mind is watch the Crestcats Gets Active uh, videos uh, in which they talk macroeconomics, and then Quentin comes on and gives a lay term. Uh, he, he talks about the exploration possibilities and, and possibilities for various companies uh, that he really loves and Crestcat owns based on, you know, he explains it, the geological issues in lay terms so you can understand it. Uh, and it's really highly recommended. I, I recommend it highly, and, and whenever I can, I watch it or I go back and listen to it and watch it later. But it really, they update. Um, investors on some very exciting stories, and one of which is Irving Resources, which I think he's going to talk about perhaps sometime in the future uh, on the Crestcat Gets Active videos. But in any event, he's here today uh, to help us understand something about Irving Resources. Thanks, uh, Quentin, for joining me once again. Thank you, Jay. Always a pleasure. It's really good to have you with us. Um, I should perhaps just again run over the, the basics uh, trades in Canada under IRV, IRVRF in the States, so you can buy it down here as I have. Newmont and Sumitomo are major shareholders, uh, only 61.9 million shares out, 63 cents. So it has a very low market cap, but it'd be around 39 million US dollars, something like that. And now it has, Irving has a very unique strategy to explore for and mine high grade gold and silver hosted in high silica veins in Japan. And a couple of factors that makes this business model so attractive are, for one, the value of the silica host host rock is a value and and uh, Irving will have the copper smelters recover the gold and silver from uh, from the material and also pay for the silica rock. So, you know, in most mining companies, most mining projects, you don't get anything for the host rock. It's just waste material, but not in this case. Uh, also, it means that uh, Irving will never won't have to build a mine, a mill, build a mill, I should say, because of course that's one of the large capital costs when you have to build a, a mining operation, and uh, the ab- so the absence of considerable cost. So it, it's just a business model that seems to make an awful lot more sense, and 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 it's a business model that others have used in Japan. So with that said, thank you uh, again, Quentin, for being with us, and I'd like you to talk about perhaps. Uh, I think the last time you were on with us was September 27th, and since then there was a very significant news announcement from Irving back on November 11th of multiple high-grade gold and silver veins uh, in a historic mine site, underneath a historic mine site, I believe it was a sort of a blind discovery. Um, could you talk about that? And I, I, I would pr- try to pronounce the name of the project, but I have a hard time doing so. No Hokurio, yes, Jay. Hokurio or something like that. And anyway, I butchered it. I try. That's all right. I, it took me a, about a year or two before I could pronounce it. But it's, yeah, Hokurio, 
which is a historic mine. Um, and there, there it has been a long tradition of gold mining in Japan. Uh, a lot of people don't recognize Japan as a major gold jurisdiction, uh, but it's part of the Circum Pacific, the Ring of Fire. And it, just like anywhere else along the Ring of Fire, has a lot of volcanoes, volcanic activity that have given rise to a lot of hot spring deposits. These hot spring deposits, you know, are, are basically uh, produced when magmas reach uh, shallow levels within the crust and, and the heat and the, the actual metal that comes with these comes off of those magmas and mm-hmm. then it uh, you know it dissolves in the fluids it carried carried to surface where it's actually precipitated in the near surface environment so uh, places like Yellowstone for example underneath those hot spring pools that people see while they're driving around the park probably two or three hundred meters 400 500 meters even there's uh high grade veins forming right now believe it or not but mm-hmm. uh, lots of these things uh around the the pacific rim and uh japan here in in Hokka- uh, hokkaido which is the northern island in japan has a, a large number of volcanic uh, fields long history of volcanism and we are exploring a little area called omu which is up in the north northern part of Hokkaido. It's uh, near the northern uh, tip or terminus of the island. Uh, and we have three now discoveries. This Hokuryu uh, mine that we've now drilled under and confirmed high-grade veins at depth. Uh, this is our third discovery on the property. Uh, it really does look like we have a district-scale uh, epithermal vein play here. Mm-hmm. Are all three of those part of the same system, Quentin? Do you think? Uh, they're all very closely related. The timing of the, the volcanism, the timing of the magmas that drove them, all very, very close in, in time, probably within a few hundred thousand years. Uh, they're not exactly the, the same system, uh, but you know they're, they're separated by you know, four or five, up to six or eight kilometers apart. But they are all definitely part of the overall magmatic process that, that occurred here. You know, as I look at the uh, some of the assays that came through that November 11th news release, I see some pretty skinny veins, high, very high values, but very skinny veins. For example, uh, one that grades uh, 400 and well, I guess it's 8.98 grams per ton gold equivalent, but it's over a 0.41 meters. And there's others similar similar to that, very high grade. And normally, uh, I mean, how many times would you see mines in which unless you have a lot of little skinny veins right next to each other, you would just sort of say, well, I can't mine that, it's too narrow. But in uh, this case, because of what I was pointing out, the silica host rock is a value, does that come into play? That's exactly right. Look, there's there's several uh, things that, that factor into these types of deposits that, that really play will ultimately play into the economics. And by the way, uh, just so you know, virtually all of the gold veins Mine in Japan have been used for smelter flux. Like that is a uh-huh. standing tradition in the country. There's a lot of base metal smelters, copper, you know, lead, zinc smelters around the country that to this day are, are some of the biggest in the world, produce a lot of the base metals that we need. Uh, and they need the silica flux. Okay, so there's a long standing tradition of mining gold in this way. So there's there's two ways, uh, or two factors that play into this. One is uh, the silica content. You you basically need a certain level of silica content in the material you mine, mm-hmm. uh, so that it does you know meet the qualifications, constitutes uh, smelter flux. Mm-hmm. 
and and the wall rock oftentimes is silicified. So uh, even though these appear to be skinny intercepts, uh, they they in theory could be high enough silica that you can mine the entire thing over you know a, a, an acceptable width, say you know a narrow vein mine one point eight mm-hmm. or something like that, and and still deliver a product uh, that that's suitable for smelters. So there's one way to look at. The other way, and a lot of people don't. Uh, don't know much about this, but there is a photograph on our deck in our in our deck on our website mm-hmm. uh, at at Hishikari, which is really the only significant gold mine operating in Japan right now. Um, there is uh, a lot of sorting that's uh, done to to make sure to, to to upgrade the material for smelter flux. So mm-hmm. what they do is they mine the rock underground, they bring it to surface, and then they they screen it. They they take the rock, they put it through a light crusher. That, that breaks it down, and they screen it. And anything that's over three inches, they actually uh, have people who are mechanic, or you know, not mechanically, they're sitting there sorting by hand as the rock goes down a conveyor belt. Uh, then the material that's uh, sieved to between three inches and half an inch goes across an optical sorter, uh, yeah. and then the stuff that's finer than half an inch goes through the the lowest screen deck and goes directly in the bulk of bags uh, to ship to the smelter ah. so you know these you know people say oh my goodness these uh, these are a bit skinny veins these are actually uh, pretty typical of epithermal veins that are being mined at places like Hishikari so I, I think that uh, what you got to appreciate is that these veins are well below the historic mine workings here uh, this this mine Hokuryo shut down in the Second World War but it, it did produce a considerable amount of gold to produce somewhere around a hundred thousand ounces of gold and uh, a probably a, a, around a million ounces of silver something like that right before the second world war uh, and then it was shut down but uh, you know this this tells us we have a lot more below the the existing mine to to chase further are you expecting some more are there some more assays coming from last year's drill program uh, we we have uh, drilled a couple more holes at Hokuria, so yeah, there's there's probably some more assays uh, that will be coming sometime next year. But more importantly, we we have been focused uh, here in the past six months about getting our drill program ramped up. Right. Uh, we we moved in, we bought a drill in mid mid last year and moved it into country. And our plan was to use Canadian drillers actually to to start drilling in earnest with with that drill and this other drill that we have on site. So so two rigs. There was a lot of challenge getting drillers in place. So we weren't able to uh, to actually pursue that as aggressively as we'd hoped late this year. But we have found a solution here. Okay, so uh, we have identified ability to get drillers out of South America. Believe it or not. Oh. And We've actually got visas for them, and they are going to be arriving in Japan early in 2023, in mid-January 2023. And we will be able to, we'll, we'll certainly be able to start one rig and probably uh, the second rig soon after. So we can accelerate drilling uh, much quicker than we, we've done over the past few years during COVID. Uh, this is what needs to happen. We have lots of work to do at OMWI, which is our biggest discovery on the OMU project. Uh, we have a, a lot of follow-up at OMU Center and now at Hokurium. Now we also have a new target, Mariama, that we plan mm-hmm. to this year. We do have a pretty aggressive drill program laid out for this year 
and as long as we can get these uh, drillers in, you know, it's it's just about labor in Japan, really. As long as we can get drillers in place, uh, these these drillers out of Chile, uh, then we we should be in much much better shape to accelerate our drill program. Yeah, I guess one of the problems was the uh, COVID restrictions and the inability to get people from outside the country into the country to do this work, right? It, it has been. It's been a real challenge. The visa processing has, has been very, very slow at times, uh, even until recently. But it's even that's uh, really accelerated here lately. Um, we we thought it would take uh, perhaps eight weeks to get these visas for for the Chilean drillers, and we've actually managed to get them in a couple of weeks. So we're, we've already got them in hand, and those guys should be ready to come to Japan early next year. Well, you've got your hands full then uh, with just Omu. You have some other properties as well down in the southern end of the island. Uh, some pretty exciting stories, but I guess we're going to have to wait probably a little longer for well, those. We, we actually have work going on. This is Yamagano, which uh, is down Yamagano, south, right. Yeah, southern part of the, the country on Kyushu, which is uh, the southernmost you know island of the chain. And Yamagano is the closest project to the Hishikari mine. Hishikari is a very famous gold mine. It's the one I mentioned earlier that's operating. Yes. And it produces a considerable amount of gold a year, probably about a quarter million ounces. Hardly anybody knows about it because it's it's a very, you know, we'll call it off-the-radar mine mining operation in the mining space. But it is a fantastic mine. It's been making a lot of money. The cash costs are probably less than $400 U.S. Wow. Oh. Uh, it's it's insane how cheaply they, they produce gold there. So we've got the Yamagana project. It's about 11 kilometers from Hishikari. Uh, very much like we just talked about for Omu, it's it's basically in the same setting. Same, It's related to the same magmatic event that occurred down in that location. And we think that uh, based on the geophysics and, and the other geologic indications we have, we think it's a very close analog for Hishikari. And we are doing work there. Okay, so we, we got our CSAMT crew in uh, around September, I believe, this year. And they're getting close to having the entire CSAMT program wrapped up. Uh, we also have some other data we collected, like magnetics and gravity and so forth. And we we should be in a position to drill that uh, as well in, in 2023. So I guess we're really looking to, to gear things up this year. Well, I have to say that with the likes of Newmont and Sumitomo being shareholders, these are not companies that would be piddling around with something small. They must see the potential, and I'm sure you do too, because you don't get involved with projects unless there has unless they have uh, world class uh, size scale to them. Um, That's right. Yeah. And and so you know, so far we we haven't seen a lot. We it seems to have been taking a lot longer than I had hoped when I started investing and. In, uh, putting it in my newsletter, but that's the that's <laughs> kind of the way things go in the mining industry, isn't it? In the mining exploration business, it's never never easy. But uh, boy, there sure are some some great upsides here. I, th I think um, Irving is pretty well financed now, right? Uh, it is. We have uh, around circa ten million Canadian in the bank, and that a lot of that came from the finance uh, that came from Newmont and Sumitomo Corporation here recently. Uh, we have plenty of money to, to operate and uh, undertake this aggressive program next year. Well, I guess we just have to keep our eyes open for for assays and drill results. And, and I guess will the company be putting out something about 2023's um, drill program? 
Uh, we will. We'll once we we have assurance that we can get these drillers in place, we're going to put out a news release that kind of outlines the entire drill program. The other thing we're doing is we are presenting up at uh, the Roundup Conference in Vancouver, and we will have a core from recent drilling that we've done both at Hukuria and we uh, at at site that we always get a really good attendance. So if anybody comes by that show, please stop by and see us. Yeah, the Roundup is usually a good one and more professional, technically. Um, inclined people that go there i believe and so uh hopefully you'll get some some smart some smart people on it with uh, with a lot of dough in their pockets to jump in on this story because but now's the time folks uh at its current price because uh if we get a real good bull market in gold and silver here which maybe it's starting uh there may not be all the time you think there is to jump in on some of these so anyway quentin thank you so much for joining us today always a pleasure to have you with us thank you jay all right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Keith Weiner will be joining me. He's the CEO and founder of Monetary Metals. And, uh, well, he, he's very bullish on the dollar, but at the same time likes gold. That's, uh, we want to ask him what his thinking is on that. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Keith Weiner. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Any Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Keith Weiner with me once again. Uh, Dr. Weiner is the CEO and founder of Monetary Metals. He is a leading authority in the areas of gold, money, and credit, and has made important contributions to the development of trading techniques found upon the analysis of bid-ask spreads. Uh, Keith, uh, is, uh, he's been on the show before, uh, and I want him to address 
Um, well, he has actually, through monetary metals, addressed one of the issues, one of the reasons people say, yeah, don't bother with gold or silver because you can't get any return on it. Well, uh, monetary metals has definitely proven that that's not true. Uh, and I can attest personally, as a very small investor, uh, I am getting uh, two or three percent, something in that range on a lease, uh, some gold that I've leased through monetary metals. Uh, and so uh, you can just put that one to rest, that whole, that whole excuse for not owning gold, that you can't get any uh, returns on it because you can quite clearly. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Keith. Thanks for having me, Jay. It's, uh, it's good to have you here. Uh, we titled our show, Why Invest in Gold if the Dollar is Strong? And I know uh, I believe that's your position. Uh, you do believe that for reasons that I want you to explain in a few minutes, why you're you're really bullish on the dollar, and I certainly believe you're right about that. Uh, but you know, most people think you you own gold and silver to protect yourself against inflation. But uh, anyway, before we get to that, uh, just so people can understand a little bit more about monetary metals and the products that you provide. Uh, maybe first of all, why would somebody, why would a company, because you're, you're lending or leasing gold to companies, why, what's in the best interest of companies um, to, to borrow or to, or to lease gold from uh, through monetary metals? Why would they do that? Well, that's a good question. So the first thing is they have a need for finance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if this was an inventory of wood or copper or bricks, you know, the prices of those things are so much lower that maybe you just write a check out of petty cash uh -huh. or the inventory you need. But gold is obviously $1,800 an ounce. Mm -hmm. And um, that has to be financed somehow. So your choice is equity capital. You sell shares. But equity capital is very expensive. If you believe in the growth and the future of your business, why would you want to dilute your ownership for relatively low productivity investments such as inventory? Um, you can borrow. The most typical uh, solution is borrow dollars. So it looks like this. You borrow a million dollars. You buy a million dollars worth of gold. That's great. Um, the thesis is that gold goes you know, up over time or the dollar goes down over time. So you should do well in that trade, which is essentially short dollars long gold. Mm -hmm. But what if the price of gold drops 10% in the meantime? Mm -hmm. What if there is a drawdown on this trade? Mm -hmm. And of course, that can happen. And if it does, then if it's a big enough drawdown, maybe 10 percent is big enough, maybe it isn't, maybe 15 percent, you are insolvent. Mm -hmm. The value of your asset has just gone down to um, you know $900,000 or $850,000, mm -hmm. but liability is still a million. Mm -hmm. Now, if you lease the gold, you eliminate that need or that, that risk, uh, that price risk, uh, which would normally be a need for hedging. So mm -hmm. normally you borrow dollars, you buy the inventory, and then you put on hedge um which just creates more complexity moving parts mm -hmm. costs, you know so forth and um so the lease is simply a more user-friendly um you know easier to use product and um and, and therefore lower cost mm -hmm. all right and then from the investor's perspective uh what are the risks and rewards i mean what i guess risks uh, if you could address risk, I believe you're, uh, the lease that I have, for example, I think it's somewhere in between two and three percent. I'm not exactly sure. It's something like that. Um, you know, I mean, interest rates have gone up a lot, but they're on dollars. They're not on gold. Uh, what uh, what is can you just maybe highlight the risk reward? Why would why does it make sense for someone like me to uh, to buy, you know, to, 
to put some gold in there and get two or three percent, I get paid back in gold as well. Right. I was going to say, um, you know, yeah, our lease rates tend to vary between two and three percent. We have a few outliers, but that t- tends to be the, the range. Of course, you could sell your gold and buy dollars. Yeah. You could go into short term T bills at four uh, percent, but mm-hmm. then you've got dollars with all the risks. Yeah. And, uh, of, of loss associated. What is the dollar going to be worth in a few years? Well, that's a big giant question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in a lease, that is not a loan to the lessee. That is not on their balance sheet. It does not become their asset. If they declare bankruptcy, it is not available to their creditors. Um, however, you know, there's no such thing as a return without some kind of risk. Anybody promising you a, a risk-free return, uh, you should run away from because that's not uh, that's not legitimate. Um, the lease is the lowest risk thing that we can think of that still pays a return. Obviously, you can hold the metal under your mattress, which is no risk in, uh, and no, no return, at least in gold terms. The price of gold may go up and down, but in gold terms, uh, there's no return there. And the lease is, is paying something because it's financing inventory. So what are the risks? Well, the risk is that the lessee could either by mistake or by fraud, um, you know, ship it out somewhere uh, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, sell it, uh, you know, uh, when the, what you're not supposed to do. Um, so we put all kinds of, uh, you know, things around this, obviously contractual clauses that don't allow them to sell it. Mm-hmm. Their internal controls and make sure that, you know, you, you can't lease gold to a little mom and pop jewelry store because if they're if they're failing, What's going to happen is they're going to sell everything that isn't nailed down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and the landlord show up when everything's all defaulted, and then you see little holes in the carpet where the you know where the wires are sticking out, and even yeah. where the cases have been you know stolen or sold or whatever. Um, so it has to be a more substantial company that has internal controls and you know process and um, you know a, a real inventory tracking system, an ERP system, and you know reporting. And a bunch of other things we do and there's insurance that the lessee has we have an, another layer of insurance at our level there's a lot that we do to um and obviously we get to know who the people are do they have any kind of credit problems do they have any criminal backgrounds mm-hmm. um so you know there is a non-zero risk um what i can say is in uh going on 50 leases right now um so far not a single gram uh, has been lost mm-hmm so um, hopefully that that risk is a lot lower than uh, than than just that, but that's our experience so far. Yeah. Well, we do know that long term the dollar loses value, and I, I believe, in spite of the fact that you are uh, bullish on the dollar, you also recognize the fact that gold has risen vis-a-vis the dollar over the long term, right? Yep. Absolutely. And that's why long term you want to own. Uh, you you want to own precious metals. I'm, I want to store my wealth in precious metals primarily and real estate, maybe that things that I need to have to live to live with. But um, make the case for the your bullishness on the dollar. And it has to do with the United States unique position as the world's reserve currency, as I understand it, the senior currency, if you will, globally. Is that do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say it's the least dirty shirt. I would actually go farther as to say, uh, or the cleanest dirty shirt, and I would go so far as to say it's at least dirty, meaning they're all dirty. And, uh, 
you know, the, the dollar may be a bit less dirty, but, but it, it goes deeper than that. All the other currencies are dollar derivatives. And, um, you know, just a really important statement, I think doesn't get enough, you know, focus and emphasis. All the other currencies derive their value and their very existence from the dollar itself. Of course, the dollar is on both sides of every major balance sheet in the world, unlike any other currency. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, this, this is really important because at a time of credit contraction, mm-hmm. and that is the world that we're in right now, yeah, right? and likely to remain in, you know, credit withdraws from the periphery inward towards the core. The dollar's uh-huh. the core. At some point, why would you want to own a derivative when you when you're desperate desperately in need of of owning the uh, you know the underlying uh, you know instrument itself? People, a lot of people try to think of this as you know putting the putting assuming that everybody in the world is in the same boat as themselves, which is not really a balance sheet but essentially some assets. And you're trying to figure out, do I put my assets in gold? Do I put my assets in dollars? Do I put my assets in Swiss francs or real estate or whatever? But that isn't really how the major balance sheets of the world operate. They're leveraged. They have, you know, again, dollars on both sides of the balance sheet. And a lot of their behaviors are forced. When when credit is contracting, what that means is it becomes harder and harder for them to obtain the dollar financing they need. Mm -hmm. The way the world is structured, the, certainly the major banks and other financial institutions have borrowed short or short term to to buy long term assets. Mm-hmm. So imagine um, financing a house by going to the bank and getting an overnight loan, which would be the most extreme case of that. And every day you have to go back to the bank when, when your loan is due and beg for you know another another 24 hours. And you have to do that 365 days a year times 30 years. Um, so when when all of a sudden credit conditions change, the bank's like, nah, no, we're, we're, we're good, bro. We just want the money back. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, no, but, but I've got this house and I can't, you know. The bank's like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Sell the house, do whatever you got to do. And so you and everyone else is in that same boat are suddenly trying to dump houses. Uh, and I'm not making an argument about real estate per se. I want to be clear. I'm just using this as a uh, illustration of this problem of borrowing short and lending long. That these are, these are balance sheets that are forced to be desperately clawing every dollar they can out of the market mm-hmm. and um you know not so much euros and and pound sterling and yen and yuan dollars specifically and when that happens you know uh, so people say the dollar is going up i i, I kind of have to chuckle at this and i say you know the one thing that nobody wants to measure the dollar in terms of is gold yes to say the dollar is 17 milligrams of gold down from 1505 milligrams uh, you know, before all this insanity started in 1913. They want to say, no, no, measure the dollar in terms of consumer prices, measure the dollar in terms of dollar derivatives, the dollar index, which is largely the euro. Um, but I would say, no, flip it the other way. Right. So how, how did you be a, a, both a gold bull in dollar terms and a dollar bull in euro terms? It yeah. becomes easier to see when you flip it the other way. Yeah. But what you're saying is the dollar derivative currencies are, are likely to continue falling. And the do- at the same time, against the dollar, which is the only way they can be measured, and yes. at the same time, the dollar is likely to continue to fall against gold, which mm-hmm. is the right way the dollar should be measured. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. So picture like you have a lighthouse, um, which is actually attached to the rock, you know, the bedrock of, of the mainland. The lighthouse is the gold. It isn't going anywhere. Then you have a, a ship, which is slowly, you know, leaking, and there's also a giant storm and it's tossing it around in the waves. That's the dollar. 
And then you have various life rafts and dinghies and people man overboard with, you know, they're throwing them the little uh, donut thing on the rope. And they're going up and down relative to the boat, which is going up and down relative to the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, the people on the boat are looking at the lighthouse saying, why is the lighthouse going up and down? <laughs> yeah. And the, people, and the people in the half sinking dinghies are saying, why is the boat going up and down? Yeah. yeah. Um, and meanwhile, it's, it's a vantage point problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So in other words, think in terms of gold, measure things in terms of real money, um, you know, time honored money um, demanded, that is market demanded money, gold. Um, well, you know, so we're, we continue, though, on this path um, of issuing more and more debt, the United States going into debt, and it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of a paradox. And I mean, the more, the more debt we go into, the stronger the dollar gets. It's opposite of what most gold bugs have always thought, that we would have, you know, the more money we print, that that's just going to cause the dollar to, to go to the dustbin of history, and we would have you know, gold prices that would go to the moon. And it just hasn't worked that way, has it? It would just, just think of it this way. Suppose you own a little store, I don't know, a print shop, and you own it free and clear. You don't owe any money personally. You don't owe any money in the business. Uh -huh. And, you know, the business produces some, you know, revenue, which you take home. You know, how much, how much cash buffer do you need to hold? You know, I mean, whatever, a couple of weeks of payroll, a month worth of payroll, maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. And everything else you can put into other forms of savings or other assets or, you know, as you say, real money, gold. But imagine now that same business producing that same revenue and you have like $8 million of debt loaded on the business. And personally, you know, your your house is, is mortgaged up to the hilt. You have two cars that you bought on credit. You have credit cards and student loans and all the rest of the stuff. Well, how much cash do you need as a buffer against the slightest down tech in the market? A lot, yeah. You know, probably six to 12 months. Yeah. Uh, just because of your own debt load. So the perversity is uh, the deeper everyone goes into debt, and it isn't just governments. Yeah. It's every business, it's every corporation, it's every student, it's every, you know, everyone who drives a car. The deeper everyone goes into debt, the more that they desperately, urgently need dollars. more dollars. First of all, it yeah. serves the debts, and then secondly, they have to constantly be increasing their buffer against, you know, a turn in the market where suddenly you can't make the revenues anymore. You know, you don't want the banks to foreclose on your business and your house and your car. So um, that's well, the, Keith, of it. the greater the debt, the greater the demand for dollars. Yeah, Keith, uh, my, my engineer is saying we only have two minutes and I wanted to ask you about Triffin's paradox. Uh, this is a quote that I just picked up from someone uh, says uh, Triffin's paradox, which notes that to own the world's reserve currency, you have to constantly run persistent trade deficits in order to ensure global liquidity in your currency. But at some point, the growing divergency between debt and the ability to pay for it, GDP is unsustainable. Do you, do you agree with that, that there has to be an end to this thing? Oh, absolutely, 100%. I think Triffin was ahead of his time. He was absolutely prescient as, uh, as an oracle in his, his insights and his observations. Okay, and how does this thing end in 30 seconds? At some point, you can't service the debts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I've written about what I call the heat death of the economic universe, which is more and more debt, but the, each dollar of debt is adding less and less GDP. Exactly. exactly. Marginal productivity of debt is falling. And then, yeah, you get to the point where it's no longer sustainable. Where, what cannot so be, then, will not be. 
So then you have a reset of some kind. And that is, do you expect that anytime soon? I, it's, it's not tomorrow and it's not next year. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would use the word 476 AD, not reset. But to be really clear that there's not there's no bouncing back from it. I mean, it's a death of civilization kind of event, oh not a, uh, you know, wipe out the money like a neutron bomb. And then we issue some new money and, you know, life goes on and there's Starbucks lattes for everybody. You don't see that. You don't see that no. happen. Oh. No, it's, it's, a, it's a consumption of capital when you run out of capital, civilization collapses. Keith, Keith we're going to have to have you back because there's too much. There's so much here that I want to get into and, and understand more about. Thank you so much. We're just out of time. I got to go now. But thank Glad you so much. Thank you so much, Keith, for, for being with us. And uh, we'll look to do it again sometime. Well, folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, Lynn Alden will be with me, to, uh, as well as Michael Oliver. So until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.